Amos chapter 6, Amos 6, read, uh, follow along with me as I read this. Woe to those who are at ease in Zion and those who feel secure on the hill of Samaria, the notable people in this first of the nations, those the house of Israel comes to. Cross over to Kalna and see. Go from there to great Hamath, then go down to Gath of the Philistines. Are you better than these kingdoms? Is your territory larger than, I'm sorry, is their territory larger than yours? You dismiss any thought of the evil day and bring in a reign of violence. They lie on beds inlaid with ivory, sprawled out on their couches, and dine on lambs from the flock and calves from the stall. They improvise songs to the sound of the harp. They invent their own musical instruments like David. They drink wine by the bowlful, and they anoint themselves with the finest oils, but do not grieve over the ruin of Joseph. Therefore, they will now go into the exile as the first of the captives, and the feasting of those who sprawl out will come to an end. The Lord God has sworn by himself, this is the declaration, the God of armies. I loathe Jacob's pride and I hate his citadels. So I will hand over the city and everything in it. And if there are 10 men left in one house, they will die. A close relative and burner will remove his corpse from the house. He'll call to someone in the inner recesses of the house and say, are there more with you? That person will reply, none. Then he will say silence because the Lord's name must not be invoked. For the Lord commands, the large house will be smashed to pieces and the small house to rubble. Do horses gallop on the cliffs? Does anyone plow through with oxen? Yet you have turned justice into poison and the fruit of righteousness into wormwood. You who rejoice over Lodabar and say, uh, didn't we capture Carnaim for ourselves by our own strength? But look, I'm rising up a nation against you, house of Israel. This is the declaration of the Lord, the God of armies, and they will oppress you from the entrance of Hamath to the brook of the our Arabah. Let me pray. God, thank you again for this day. Thank you for this message that uh, we will hear today, Lord. I just pray that um, we can internalize your word, that we can base our lives on it, that we can just live a life for you based on what your scripture says, God. So be with me as I speak and be with everyone as they listen. We love you and we pray this in your name. Amen. You may be seated. All right, trivia question. This is going to be uh, Pastor Matt trivia. Does anybody remember the first car that I ever owned? Does anybody? I've talked about it. <laughs> I know the Groves know because they were here last service. Anybody besides them would know? Anybody? What was it, Sherrod? Did he tell you? Yeah, say it. It was a truck. It was a red 1970 Ford pickup made of straight steel. It was a beast. And my dad got it for 1200 bucks. He got me this car, and I was super excited when he told me he was getting me a car. And then I saw the car or the truck. And I was not excited. I said, Dad, I can't, I can't go to school in this thing. And he's like, go buy your own car. And I was like, good point. So I drove the truck. And so I, uh, what's funny is I, I, I got my license in North Carolina. And in North Carolina, like Ohio, there's tons of back roads. There's tons of, uh, like, I didn't have to get on the inter- interstate, I don't think, to have to go to school. And so I'd go the back roads. And what's funny about back roads is you tend to learn the roads like the back of your finger, right? Like you can, you can just, you can drive them uh, flawlessly. And so uh, I asked this in the last service, I'm curious, who lives in the country? Like you'd say you live in more country setting. Okay, cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the fields, you guys live in the country. Yeah, you're a big time country. Who lives in like Westerville and like more residential areas? Okay, cool, cool. So when, when you live in those residential areas, you know, you got to be on your guard a lot, don't you? When you're driving through because there's people everywhere, there's there's uh, cars all over the place. Not the case with the back roads. The back roads, you don't typically see people walking around, and you know them so well. And I know that when I drive back roads, I know that I don't have to worry about cops. I can speed a little bit. I don't have to worry about people jumping out in front of me. Like, you can kind of, you know, be aware, right? Or you don't have to be as aware. 
Well, what's funny is when I got my license when I was um, uh, what, 16 or whatever, I was driving, and my, my dad tried to teach me about cars. I don't know about cars. That's why I go to Shared and just ask him whenever I have car issues. But I don't know anything about cars. I, I'm not passionate about learning about cars. And I remember that when I was driving my truck, my brakes stopped working, okay? And I knew, I don't know anything about cars, but I know that that's not good. <laughs> so I'm, I'm driving, and all of a sudden I'm like, man, these are real spongy. And so I would come up to stuff, and, and I, would like hit, I would have to brake real far out just to stop in time. So if I would see a stop sign coming, I'd say, I need to start braking now. And then eventually I would slow down, and I was like, okay, good. God forbid anybody jumps out in front of me, right? So I'm on, I'm on one of these back roads, and I know this road like the back of my hand. I'm driving, I'm cruising, and all of a sudden I'm pulling around this corner, and there is a car sitting there that's trying to turn left into its driveway that I didn't see. And so as I'm, I'm cruising, and, and I was telling the kids in last service that I do tend to see things in slow motion when I'm driving, especially when an accident's about to happen, and all of a sudden I was like, wait a minute, this is not good. Like, I, I got, what am I going to do here? Because I knew my brakes were not going to work. There's no way I'm stopping. So I swerved around the car. I went into a ditch, but then it was weird. I popped right up out of the ditch, got back on the road, and then I just remember sitting there, and I was like, well, that really worked out. Like, <laughs> that could have been a lot worse, right? And so I went home, and I told my dad about it, and my dad's like, get your brakes fixed. What are you doing? And I said, good point, Dad. Let me ask a quick question. What's the most reckless thing you've done? Somebody in here tell me. What's the... <laughs> Duke, what's the most reckless thing you've done? The most boneheaded thing you've ever done. What is it? Do we have time? Do we have time to say them all or no? Okay. <laughs> I'm just kidding. All right. Well, somebody tell me. Tell me one. Kate, or... Yeah, that's dumb. That's really dumb. Yeah. You jumped off your roof and you lived. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> all right. Did you hurt your legs bad or anything? Or... Yeah, you're not crippled. That's good. Yes, sir. Yeah, that's a very bad idea. Never let your younger sisters drive anything, all right? Just, guys, ladies, I hate to tell you this. Women are not good drivers, okay? That's just the reality. That's not a lie. Come on. Hey, next, next time we meet, I'm going to show you a great YouTube video. It's called Women Drivers Compilation, and it's, it's really good. But guys, listen, I'll be honest. Hey, I tried driving without brakes, so I can't really say anything, all right? So let's, let's move on. But guys... All of you guys have, I imagine everybody here has done something reckless. For me, what I, when I, what, the way that I drove was pretty reckless, right? The way I was driving on the back roads. And what I realized is that on these back roads, people tend to get complacent and they tend to get, um, they let their guard down. Because when you know a road so well, you're, just, you're not worried about turns that you don't expect. You're not worried about uh, things jumping out because things don't typically do that. And so I was reading this article the other day. It said, according to the Road Information Program, this is uh, the, the organization that takes stats for traffic fatalities and stuff. They said that traffic fatalities occur more on back roads in the country at a rate two and a half times higher than all other roads. So more accidents and more people die on back roads than they do on interstates and stuff like that. And they said the reason for this is that typically when you're driving in the city and you're driving in like uh, highly residential areas, you're more aware. I remember the first time I ever drove in, uh, what city was I think it was in, in, in LA. I got to drive once a little bit there and I was just like, oh my gosh, like I was freaking out because there's cars everywhere. And I was extremely aware. I, 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 was, I was good. 
when I'm, when I'm driving on a back road in the country, I've, a lot of times I got my phone out and I'm just cruising and I'm like, oh yeah, I know this turn. And then I'll go around and it's not good, right? It's because I've become complacent. And what we're going to talk about today is we're going to talk about this word complacency. We're going to talk, yes. Good point. Disclaimer, it's not okay to look at your phone while driving. Keep both hands at a 10 and 2 and uh, pay attention to the road. Okay. My New Year's resolution, yeah, is to get off my phone. That's true, yes. Okay, thank you for that, Britt. The, that's the mother coming out of you. I like it. So today we're talking about complacency. This passage that I just read to you guys about Israel is about a complacent people. Now, we've been in, in the book of Amos now for many weeks. We finally have made it to Amos chapter 6. Our theme is mirror image. And the, again, the idea is that there's a lot of similarities between Israel and us today in terms of the sin that they were struggling with. And the sin that they struggled with in this passage was the sin of complacency. Now, I'm going to give you the definition of complacency, and then we'll, uh, we're going to dive into this, because I'm convinced that there are a lot of Christians who are very complacent in their faith. They're very, um, uh, well, let me give you the definition first, and then we'll dive in. So complacency means a feeling of security, often while unaware of some potential danger, defect, or the like. And then uh, another definition is self-satisfaction or a smug satisfaction with an existing situation or condition. So essentially what it means is um, you lack any fear because you are secure in, in what you are, right? So let's take Israel for an example here. Israel, if you read through this passage, guys, I, I was reading this passage again last night before bed, and I was like, man, God is, God is not happy, right, with, with Israel here. He's extremely upset. Amos is telling them, I mean, do you guys hear the part where he's talking about the, uh, where is it? He says, um, I'm going to kill the 10 people left in the house. They're all going to die. And I love this. A relative's going to go in, remove the corpse, and somebody's going to say, hey, are there any more with you? And he's going to be like, none. He's like, but be quiet. <laughs> you know, God's already, he's already put his judgment on these people. Don't say anything else, right? And the thing is, Israel has done a lot of terrible things. They've We've talked about these sins over the last couple of weeks. They, they, they didn't care for the needy and the poor. They were extremely prideful. And today, this sin of complacency that we're going to talk about is you've got a people that God loves, a people that were very successful in life, and they got to a point where they were so blessed that they thought it was from their own doing, and they thought they didn't need anybody else but themselves. And they, become, they became complacent. Another word for complacency can be like laziness, right? Like where you're blessed so much you become lazy and you don't feel the need or the desire to, to take that next step. So when you look at Israel, we've talked about a couple of the things that they were blessed with. Remember, Israel had a mighty army, okay? We, do you remember the story that we talked about with Gideon where there was only 300 people and they went and defeated this enormous army and, and everybody was like, wow, how did they do this? And none of them said, oh, it was us. We're great warriors, all 300 of us. They said, no, it was God, right? It was God was the one who did this. this we couldn't have done this on our own. It was God. So God had, had provided many military uh, victories for them. They were conquering places. They were winning battles. They weren't losing battles. And this is a huge blessing. The other thing is they were extremely blessed financially, Remember, I told you, I didn't even know that people back in these days had a winter home and a summer home, right? But Israel had them. They were so rich that they had places all over where they, where they were hanging out. And so complacency is often, it's a result of blessings. A lot of times people are so blessed that they become lazy and, and, and complacent. They become lazy and complacent. In fact, who in here has ever, uh, I know the Groves will know this, right? Who in here has ever heard of the American dream? 
okay? Do you know what the American dream is? The American dream is that if you come to America, you can work hard, get an education, get a job, provide for your family, maybe even start a business, right? There's no ceiling on how high you can get based on, uh, or like how far up you can go based on how much you're willing to work. And it used to be that coming to America meant that you had to make a treacherous journey over the Atlantic to get here. Um, or in the Wild West, they had to travel out west, and they'd have to travel for days and days in their caravans, get ambushed by people, get sick. And if you lived and made it out there and started a, a home, you better believe they took it pretty seriously, didn't they? Can you imagine? They're like, hey, uh, son, come on, we need to, we're building our house. And they're like, eh, I don't feel like it today. It's like, feel like it today. It took us three weeks to get here from one state over. Come on, like, help us out, right? There, you can't be complacent. You can't be lazy about it. And the American dream was this great thing where you can come to America and make something of yourself. And now what we see, more than ever, we live in a time now where people don't want to work for anything. They, they've become very complacent and lazy in their life, where the harder you work, the, the better you can do. We, we're so blessed in our country that people aren't willing, that they've lost what it means to, to work hard. They've lost what it means to to try to uh, make something of yourself. And the American dream, it, it's, it's, you know, it started great. It was a great idea, but now we're so blessed. We're all the descendants of people who live the American dream. And so the reason I'm bringing that up is that we, Christians are in the same boat, right, where it's very easy in America right now to be a Christian. Wouldn't you agree with that? It's very easy in terms of, in terms of our safety and our security. We're not going to get killed for being a Christian in America pretty, I can say that pretty confidently. You're not going to get thrown in prison for being a Christian in America. I'll say not yet, <laughs> but at this moment, that's not going to happen. And, and we live in a country where if you are a Christian, our laws are pretty much set up. They follow the Ten Commandments, right? So you can be a Christian in this country and live a good life. And, but, the, but the problem is, is even though it's so easy, what we find is that many Christians are becoming so complacent in their faith. They're becoming lazy about being Christians. So the, the question that I want to ask you, this, the opening question is, are you complacent in your faith, in your walk with God? Are you complacent in your walk with God? Are you a lazy Christian? Do you guys know that we're a Southern Baptist church? Did you know that? I don't know. I knew, I'm, I'm sure you, <laughs> Alex, Alex takes pride. Show him your Southern Baptist tattoo on your arm there. I'm just kidding. He doesn't have one. All right. <laughs> but but um, we're a Southern Baptist church. We're part of the Southern Baptist Convention. I looked up the stats, and they say that 80% of Southern Baptist church right now, are uh, they've stopped growing. So they've either stopped growing or they've plateaued. So they were growing for a while, and then they just plateaued. And that's crazy, isn't it? 80% of Southern Baptist churches have stopped growing. And the th I'm convinced it's because of complacency. I think that there are so many lazy, complacent Christians. Think about that, 80%. It's easy, I think it is easy to, uh, you know, when, when you settle into something, when you become accustomed to something, it is easy to stop pursuing it. Uh, how many married guys we got in here? We got a couple of married guys, right? Three of us, right? Yeah, and then soon, right? Not, not yet, but let's see, one, two, three, four. All right, so, so um, us, us married guys, right? One thing you gentlemen are going to learn, I think I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, is when, when you're dating a girl, right, guys will go out of their way to date the girl and to make the girl feel loved and say, essentially saying, hey, I'm the guy for you. Pick me. I'm the one. And then finally when they say, I pick you, and then you get married and everything's good, this crazy thing happens with a lot of guys where they become complacent. They, they stop pursuing their wife. 
And, and for guys, you know, we're, we're, guys tend to be pretty checklisty. Like, we have a checklist and we check it off the list. And, you know, you've got your one. It's like, find the right girl, check. Get married to that girl, check. And when you've checked those off the list, you're just like, yeah, I've checked them off the list. We're good. And the girl's like, no, 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 why don't, why don't you pursue me like you did when we were dating? And you go, well, because I married you. Like, I, I won. Like, I got you, right? And so guys, guys tend to feel very complacent. This is why guys have to, you, you've got to not stop dating your wives. You've got to not stop showing them that you love them, right? And in the same way that people, I've seen this a, a bunch of times where people, they become a Christian, they fall in love with God, they become so in love with God, but then after a while they become complacent in their faith. Some of the most stale Christians I've ever met are Christians who've been Christians for many, many years. Some of the most passionate Christians I've ever met are people who've been Christian for a short time because they're super pumped about it. So here's what we're going to do today is my main point is this. Complacency makes you useless for God. Complacency makes you useless for God. Now that is a very, uh, it's a very bold statement, right? Complacency makes you useless for God. But here's the thing. We've got a lot of people who are claiming to be Christian who have become lazy Christians and they're not doing anything for God. They're not doing anything for God. Guys, I'm telling you, there are people in this room who struggle with this. I struggle with this sometimes. And what I want to encourage you is I'm going to show you two, ways that compl- two things that complacency does to a person, and then my, my hope is that you cannot be a person who becomes lazy about your faith, but that you are a person who is on fire for God, okay? So let's go ahead and look at point number one. Here it is. We focus, this is a result of complacency, is when you become complacent in your face, faith, we focus only on your selves, okay? We focus only on, oh, that should be ourselves. I'm sorry, ourselves. We focus only on ourselves. Did you guys know that complacency at its root is about pride? Because when you become complacent, when you become lazy about it, when somebody says to you, hey, you're a Christian, right? And you say, yeah. And you're like, well, go out there and live for God. And you're like, I'm okay. You're thinking about yourself. You're just like, man, I don't want to, I don't want to inconvenience myself. I don't want to be made fun of if they're going to say something about me like that, about being a Christian. I don't, I don't, I don't want to, you know, give up my free time on a Saturday morning to go do some outreach. It, it, it becomes a very prideful thing. In fact, let's read verses 1 and 2 again from Amos 6. Amos says, Woe to those who are at ease in Zion and to those who feel secure on the hill of Samaria, the notable people in this first of the nations, those the house of Israel comes to. Cross over to Kauna and see. Go from there to the great Hamath, then go to Gath of the Philistines. Are you better than these kingdoms? Is your territory larger than theirs? Guys, Israel thought they were superior to everybody. When you talk about a mirror image, and I fall into this, as an American, do you think, do you, do you think we're better than everybody? I, I definitely do, I think. Guys, I, so I used to live in England, and we would always play uh, basketball against other British churches and stuff, and every time we'd beat them in basketball, I'd be like, America, Revolutionary War Part Two, man, let's go, and we'd like talk smack to the English people, and then there was one day where my team, we thought we were the, the best, and they brought some guys over, and they wiped the floor with us, and it made me, made me very sad, but, but I, I always, like, America, I, I, I don't say this like, um, like, I say this proud, like, America is the best nation for sure. But guys, we as Americans, we're not better than pe- other people, right? God loves us as much as he loves people who live in Iraq, or as much as it pains me to say, Canada, okay? He loves us all the same. He loves the Canadians. He loves us. He loves everybody the same. And guys, we have this problem when we become complacent, is that we only focus on ourselves. 
We, we believe the lie that God, God loves us more than he loves other nations because he's blessed us more. Guys, Israel had it in their mind that, hey, um, we, look, look how God has blessed us. Look at our military. Look at our wealth. Look at all of this stuff. God has blessed us this much. This must mean that God loves us way more than he loves them. That's far from the truth, isn't it? God loves us all the same. So guys, when you become complacent, try to, try to ask yourself, how am I thinking about myself in this, right? If we say, hey, we've got an outreach opportunity coming up on Saturday morning. Why don't you come and help? And you can say to yourself, well, I really did want to just relax at home. I wanted to do this for myself, you know. Are you thinking of yourself more than others? That's typically a good sign of complacency, all right? Here's point number two. We're going to scroll through these real quick, okay? Here's point number two. We are not fearful. Complacency makes you lose your fear. Now, here's, here, let, me, let me give some context to this because this is a little, it can be a little confusing. Let me read this, uh, Amos 6, verse 3. It says, you dismiss any thought of the evil day and bring in a reign of violence. Do you guys remember last week, I think it was last week, we talked about um, uh, the day of the Lord was coming and Israel had it in their minds that when God was going to return, that everything would be great, there was no problems, that hey, we're God's people. Yeah, we've been living sinfully. We've been doing this, but God loves us. We'll be fine. And Amos is like, you really shouldn't think like that. Like, God is coming back, and you guys are in trouble. Look how you've been living. And he, he repeats it here. He says, you guys dismiss any thought of, of, of the evil day and, and the bring in a reign of violence. And, and what he's saying is, listen, you guys think that there's no chance that that an army is going to come and attack you, and you guys won't win. Like, you think you've got God on your side. Everything is good. And what he's saying is, get ready. Like, an evil day is coming. And if you read through the Bible more, you realize that it did come. There was an army that came and just wiped out Israel almost completely. And Amos was telling them about this. They're like, look, you guys, you guys aren't scared of anything. You should be. <laughs> you should be. And what I want to encourage you guys is, as Christians, I think it's easy to think that when you're a Christian, that, that you're not going to face any more problems. This is a lie that people tell us often, isn't it? When you become a Christian, everything's going to be great. You're going to not struggle with any problems. Everything will be fine. And it's far from the truth. And what that kind of does is complacency and being a lazy Christian kind of, it makes us kind of put our guards down a little bit, doesn't it? It makes us think, oh yeah, we're good. Don't worry about it. We're good. Don't worry about it. Let me tell you a quick story. There's, there's, um, there's a movie called Braveheart, which came out years and years ago. Rated R, so don't watch it. But it's a historical movie, all right? And it's very, uh, I don't know that it's completely accurate. I think there's, they took some embellishment there. But Mel Gibson wrote, directed, and starred in this movie. And it's the first movie that made me cry. It was a great movie. So in this movie, what had happened was William Wallace, who's the main Scottish guy, his wife is murdered by the English, some English lord. And um, all of a sudden, he gets obviously upset and he gathers all of these Scottish guys together, and he goes, guys, he's like, guys, listen to me, right? I'll do my Scottish accent. He's like, listen, we've got to beat the English, right? And so he gets all, they get mad because the English are just coming in, taking their lands, killing their people, and he was like, this has to stop. We, we, can't, we can't let this happen anymore. So they have a couple of battles, and in these battles, I love them because the Scottish army shows up, the English army shows up, clearly one looks like the front runner here. The English army has armor. They've got horses. They've got uh, skilled long, longbow archers. I mean, these guys are bred for war. England did not lose wars back in these days. This is why it was amazing that Scotland did so well against them. And, and, and honestly, the fact that America beat England was a huge thing, right, in the Revolutionary War. 
So they're getting ready to fight. And what had happened was the general of the English army was like, send them in. He was like, send in the cavalry. And they were like, well, hold on now. We gotta, don't you want to send in the infantry first, like the guys on foot? And he says, nope, I want to get, I think he said, I want to get back for tea or something. Like, he's like, let's just get this out of the way. Let's get it going. So they sent in the cavalry, right? These are the guys on the horses. They're in full knight's armor almost. They've got their swords. And the idea is that they were going to go in and they were just going to slash them all down, make it back for tea and crumpets at lunchtime, okay? Well, they go down there. And what happened is, unbeknownst to them, they get down there and the Scottish people had these long 10-foot spears. As, as, the, um, as the cavalry was charging the Scottish people, the Scot- they're just standing there with their swords. And he's like, wait, 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 now. And they pull up these huge spiked sticks and the horses and all the men just run right into them. All the horses die. The guys fall over and they just kill them all. And the general is back and he's like, oh crap, like we just lost our cavalry. This is not good. And he goes, send in the infantry. So he sends in the infantry and, and, and they're just like, hold on a second. He's like, no, send them in. So they send them in and what had happened is they had taken oil and poured it all over the field prior to the battle. So when all their men were down there, lit the match, burnt a lot of them alive, but they also put up this now, this fire barrier in between them and the, and the Scottish people just killed them all. Guys, it was a huge upset, huge upset. And the English people just, they, they retreated in fear. And, here, and here's the thing. The, don't you think that the English army got pretty complacent, didn't they? They got lazy. They were like, man, we got this. We're England. We're England, mate. Yeah, right? They're like, we're going we're gonna to kill them. This is what we do. And they completely overlooked the Scottish people. And what happened was the Scottish people got the best of them. The reason I bring that story up is that, guys, there's a lot of Christians who I, I think we treat the devil like we're the English people, where, where the devil is out to get every single person in here. The, the, the devil does not want anybody in here to succeed. If you live a life for God, if you live a life glorifying God by serving others and doing things for God, the devil is losing, and he doesn't want that, right? So what the devil does is he tries to tempt you, he tries to get you to sin, he tries to get you to do all these different things. And the problem with a complacent Christian nowadays is lazy Christians tend to not put their guard up. They tend to just say, oh, no, I'm good. I'm good. You're like England, right? I'm good. And then the devil sneaks right on in. I have seen, I've seen teenagers your age who were on fire for God that I just look at them. I'm like, man, you are going to do great stuff for God someday. And then something happens. They get caught up with a girl. They get caught up with bad friends. They let their guard down, and they thought they were fine. And then all of a sudden, now they're, they're caught in a life of sin. And it's, really, it's sad to see. It's really sad to see. This is why we as Christians, we have to set up guardrails. I want you to fear sin. I want you to be scared of sin, so much so that you put up extra guardrails to protect yourself. Like, I, I've talked to, to, you know, guys who struggle with looking at things on the internet they shouldn't look at, right? You should be putting up barriers that will prevent you from even being able to look at that. Uh, you who have friends that are bad influences, like, like, why are you surrounding yourself with people who could potentially lead you away from God? You've got to put up guardrails, right? Be scared. Like, don't, I, I, I get really suspicious of people who tell me, oh, I don't struggle with that. I'm not worried about that. I'm like, come on, man. Like, I'm not saying you do struggle with it, but you, you need to be fearful that there is a chance. Anybody in here can slip up. Anybody. Guys, I, I work at a church, right? I, I am aware that the devil's probably after me as well, right? A lot. He wants me to fail. He wants me to, to mess up. And so I try to set up guardrails to prevent that. Why? I'm terrified of, of what a, a decision that I could make in, in a day where my mind isn't maybe there or something, right? Everybody can mess up. So guys, let me just finish by saying this, okay? 
Don't be lazy about your faith where, you, where your guard is down. Be fearful of sin. Be fearful of the impact that sin can have on your life. Yesterday, I'll finish by saying this. Yesterday I did, a, I did this wedding over here, and the, the guy that was, the groom was, I was sitting in this back room with him, and I, and I said, how you doing, man? His name is Jamez. I said, how you doing, Jamez? And he goes, I'm good. I'm just really nervous. And I said, you should be. <laughs> I was like, you're about to, you're about to really, you're, you're going to be responsible for a nice young lady after today, right? This is your wife now. And he goes, yeah, that's good. And he goes, well, wh- why am I nervous? Is it bad that I'm nervous? I said, no, it's great to be nervous. Being nervous is a good, good thing. I think God makes us nervous. He allows us to be nervous because the more nervous I am, the more I check everything to make sure things are going right. And, and I like it. It kind of makes me extra alert. Uh, a couple times that I, uh, times when I've done worship and also when, when I'm getting ready to speak, I remember I was really confident a couple times and I'm like, they said, well, hey, have you practiced your message? And I'm like, no, nah, I don't need some good, you know. And then I get up there and then I bombed. And I was like, oh, man, I was too complacent. I, I got too uh, just okay with it, right? I love when I get nervous. Now, every time I lead worship, I get nervous. Every time I speak, I do get a little bit nervous. And I think God, I, I, I encourage it because I'm like, ooh, thanks, God, because it helps me stay aware, you know. So, guys, I want to encourage you guys, as weird as this sounds, be nervous in your faith. Be nervous. Like, always know that there is somebody, there, the, that the devil is around the corner waiting on you. It's kind of like a boogeyman story towards the end here. But, but always be aware that there is somebody out there who does not want you to succeed as Christians. There's somebody out there who wants you to be complacent with your faith. And what I would say to you guys is don't be complacent with your faith. Complacency makes you useless for God. Don't be useless. Be on fire for God. Okay? Let me pray, and then we'll break into groups. God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for everyone that's here. Lord, we see this example of Israel in Amos 6, God, that they were a people who had become extremely complacent. They they went through the motions. They did what they needed to do by way of going to church and sacrificing on the altar and stuff like this. But they had no heart for you. They, they had no desire for you, and it made them complacent. They became arrogant. They became prideful because you had blessed them so many times before. So God, first off, I pray that we never forget what you've done for us, that we don't take it for granted, that, that we can look at our lives and see how you've blessed us and, and really just provided for us, God, and that we we can just cherish that and we can remember it and don't ever take it for granted. Lord, I also pray that, um, that we do not become lazy in our faith where we only focus on ourselves and not others. Christianity is all about focusing on others and not ourselves, God. And then finally, Lord, I pray for a bunch of Christians in here who are not necessarily scared, but, but that they're alert, that, that we can have a bunch of Christians in this room who are aware that the devil is trying to get to them, that he's trying to affect their walk with you, that he's trying to make them stumble. And I pray that we can be so aware that anytime any temptation or sin comes our way, we're ready for it, God. I thank you for every kid and uh, student and every adult that's in this room. Just be with us as we finish the weekend. And Lord, we love you so much, and we pray this in your name. Amen.